Well, good morning, church. Y'all doing all right? Man, a little, a little cold this morning when you woke up. A little hard to get out of bed. Funny story. So we had a baptism at our 845 service. And um, so during the week, I come and I set up the baptistry. And at about 1145 last night, it dawned on me that there was no water in the baptistry and that the, it has like a heater um, that circulates through it to get it warm so it's not an ice bath. And that needs um, what they say, you're supposed to do it the day before the baptism so it's nice and hot. So uh, poor Monica this morning, I did not want her to be freezing. So I came up at midnight um, and was like, oh, there's no water in the baptistry, so it came up at midnight to then uh, fill it up and put in the but, uh, press the buttons for it to heat. And praise God, she was baptized in warm water <laughs> this morning. So uh, a little pastor confession there, but it is so good to see you guys. I missed you guys last week. I was at our Malden campus. They're just more sinful over there, so they needed me to, to <laughs> preach. No, just joking. But uh, man, it's good to be back. Um, I love visiting our other campuses, and seeing what God's doing across our church, but this is home. And if you've been checking us out for the last couple of weeks, I hope that you make this place home. Um, and just to kind of echo what Catherine said, uh, a great way to do that, um, next Sunday is what we call our Getting to Know You event. Um, it's very informal and casual. You come and have coffee, dessert, um, hear about the vision, the mission of the church, ways to get connected through serving um, or um, small groups. And just have any kind of question you have answered. And it's definitely the pathway to membership. Um, and so um, it's a great, great opportunity. And so make sure you can register online, childcare, all that stuff. Make sure you go to our happenings page um, to register um, for that. But this morning, uh, I wanted to kind of start off, uh, have started off all of our services by um, kind of a little pastoral confession, all right? Because I, I think sometimes uh, people think that because I'm a pastor that um, I'm perfect. I know you don't think that, but at sometimes it's like, oh, like, um, you, you do that or whatever. Uh, let me kind of let you in some insight. There are times in my life where I'm not very pastory. Is that a word? I'm not sure. I'm not very pastoral. Um, and if you, if you want a real synopsis, ask my wife or kids, okay? Um, they will tell you. Um, I struggle just like you. Uh, I'm a human just like you. Uh, for example, um, a couple, about a month ago, uh, my wife um, had a birthday and I surprised her with like a little um, like long getaway away. And so we had an uh, early morning flight um, on a Thursday morning and our flight left at 525 in the morning. Don't you love that? Okay. And so <clears throat> we wake up at 330. I'm like, it's GSP. I don't fly a lot. We're not checking bags or anything like that. So we get to the airport about 430. We get up and I know, I'll, I will self-confess, I don't fly a lot, um, but I get those annoying notifications the night before that say, it's time for you to check in. And like, for me, that brings me anxiety because I'm like, why would I check in? I'm not even at the airport yet. What if something happens between here and there? Anybody else like that? I don't know, maybe I'm a freak. So, um, so I didn't check in. So we get there, I go up to the self little kiosk, I go to check in and it's like, hey, sorry, you've missed the window for self check-in. You need to go to the counter. So I go to the counter and of course there's a line. Like who in the world flies at 5.30 in the morning on a Thursday? So there's a line, they're having some problems. Eventually 
um, the, the lady working the counter moves him to the side. We get up there. And at this time, it's probably 445, all right? So our flight leaves at 525. We get up there, and my wife, who is so sweet, but kind of in a way was like, I hope we make our flight to the lady. And the lady said, what, what time do you leave? We're like, hey, 525. And I, I swear, this is how she said it. Nope, not going to make your flight. And I'm like, what? I'm like, what happened to customer service? Like, I just spent a gazillion dollars on stupid airfare, and now you're like, nope, sorry, you're not going to make it. So I said, I was like, not going to make it. Our flight leaves in like 45 minutes. You know, like, sure, we'll make it. She's like, hey, sorry, sir. According to TSA guidelines, you have to be here two hours prior to departure. And so I can't remember who said it, either me or my wife. I'll just blame her. But she said, she said, well, this is GSP. You know, like, it's not a huge airport, right? We, like, we don't have any checked bags. She's like, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to rebook your flight. So she's like, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God. I said, no, you're not. You're not going to rebook our flight. We're going to make this flight, right? And we have, we have, I know, I feel like that too. It's all good. So I was like, all we have are carry-ons. We go through security. It won't take us any time at all to get through security, right? And she's like, I'm sorry, sir. And I was like, you're going to get us on this flight. So then Sloan, in a graceful pastoral wife, she's like, you're not making the situation any better. So then the lady at, I won't tell you what airline, American Airlines, she said, <laughs> she said, yes, sir, you're not making the situation better. I, I'm going to be honest. I did not want to be a pastor, a Christian. I wanted to be like a street fighter, okay? Like I wanted to karate swan kick her. And so I didn't. And so Sloan was like, why don't you just walk away? And I'm like, that's probably a good idea. So I grabbed my, the, the two little, um, you know, carry-on little things. You know, those things are awkward, right? So I'm frustrated, all right? And I walk away, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is ridiculous. And so I'm going, and of course, this is how God works this. One of them hits one of those stupid divider, whatever those things are called, and flips over and hits the tile. And of course, it echoes because no one else is at the airport. And then, so I didn't know this, but then the lady said, ma'am, your husband is throwing your language, or language, luggage. So Sloan turns around, she goes, are you throwing the luggage? I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm, oh my gosh, I'm about to lose it right here in GSP. I haven't had coffee, like you're driving me nuts, lady, right? So now I didn't say this in the other services, but they, after services, they're like, you gotta tell us what happened. Okay, we get up to the gate. The airplane was still there, but they rebooked us. We were supposed to connect in Charlotte. They connected us in D.C. or whatever. But we get there, and she's like, sorry, if they just would have called us up here, we would have let you on this plane. I'm like, of course, you know? So anyway, we eventually got rebooked on a standby flight and made it to our final destination. It was, it was all good. And I guarantee you, on the way home, I checked in online the night before. <laughs> so... Anyway, I say all that because every single one of us, I'm a human, you're a human, we all struggle with sin. We all have things in our life that don't go our way and the nastiness of our lives come out, right? We all struggle with sin. We all are in this battle and this struggle, this temptation on a multitude of ways. And it looks different for every single one of us because we live in a world where Satan is attacking our weakest moments and our weakest points. And so that might be a season 
There might be something that you struggle with more than someone else, but we all struggle with sin. And so over the last couple of weeks, we're in week three of talking about the importance of our heart. We, we've looked at Proverbs 4.23, where um, depending on what translation of the Bible you read, it, it talks about how we should guard our heart or keep our heart with all diligence for from it flow everything. The, the spring or wellspring of life come from it. And so we've looked at things like anger, um, we, we talked um, about, you know, how just in the midst of everything going on, how important it is for you and I to stay close to Jesus by guarding our heart, especially today in this battle of sin. How do we do that effectively in our walk with God? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Um, if you know anything about Bible, the Bible, um, so Paul wrote Romans. It is by far one of the most theologically in-depth books of the entire Bible. Um, you can read some of his epistles, his letters to the church of Corinth or Ephesus or something like that. And while it has theological nuggets throughout, uh, Romans is by far one of those. You're like, I have no idea what he's talking about. All right. But it is so good. And as you read and as you study and you become in depth um, in, in it, you begin to see the beauty of what Paul um, is saying. And in Romans 6, we see this. So let's read this together and then we'll, we'll walk um, through it. It'll be on the screens or if you have the church app or Bible app. But let's read um, the words of Paul, um, what he's writing. He says this, verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So essentially what Paul is saying, should we just sin knowing, okay, God's grace is unlimited. So knowing that, just live however, his grace is always there. He'll, he'll forgive you. Um, Paul answers his rhetorical question, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So he's talking to the believers, the followers of Christ, and saying, if we who have died, right, to sin, how are we going to still live in it? How are we going to continue in sin this way? All right, so he says that, and he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too walk in newness of life. So Paul is painting this picture that because of the work of Jesus, and he will continue here in a second, that we have, we have been made dead in sin and alive in him, this newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we uh, also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Y'all still good? I know it's a lot. Just bear with me. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. 
but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its pleasures or passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. He's talking about your body, the members of your body. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought to, from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Are y'all okay? I know it's like, psh, all right? The big theological stuff. Now, if you've been a part of our church, you know this about our teaching team, especially across all campuses, um, we teach the same passage of scripture and we have the same points. We meet every single Thursday um, for several hours to talk about whatever, the, the week's message, but we usually get mm, approximately eight or so weeks ahead if we're doing good, all right? And so we sit in a room and it's probably my favorite time of the week. I know it's like a nerd alert, but man, it is a great, great time. And so on Sunday mornings, we stay kind of, we say, hey, here's the two points. Here's the passage of scripture. And we all have the freedom to kind of bring our own application, illustrations based on our communication style. Well, don't tell anybody this. I'm gonna break away from that with one thing this morning before we get into the two points. And I say this because as I studied it this week, there is something that we desperately need to understand before we can even understand the two points. And, and so I wanna kind of break away just based on my convictions with this. I think it's so important of what Paul is saying. And this, this is what it is, is that we have to understand in a solid biblical way what sin is. We have to have a healthy view of sin. Now, I know it sounds kind of whatever, but think about this. A healthy relationship with Christ is established by the correct view of sin. Now, this is what I mean by this. We live in a world that kind of just waters down sin. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that serious. We even justify sin. If you're like me, there's times where I'm like, my sin's not that big of a deal, but look at that guy. That, guy, that guy's sin is really, really bad. So we kind of justify or push it down and say, hey, it's not that big of a deal. For you and I to have a relationship with Jesus, a healthy relationship with Jesus, the very first step is that we have to acknowledge and recognize that we have sin in our lives. And you can look all throughout scripture, sin separates us from God. That's why Jesus had to come. There is no relationship with God unless Jesus comes. And so we have to recognize um, sin. What Paul says in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. If we do not take sin, its consequences and its effects on our lives seriously, think about it, you don't take guarding your heart seriously. We have to take sin serious. We have to be able to see that it affects everything in our lives. Sin affects how I'm a husband. It affects how I parent. It affects how I lead other people. It affects how I interact with people, whether it's family or coworkers, whoever it is. Sin affects everything. So if you are apathetic towards sin, you don't have a healthy relationship with God or others. Are you tracking with me? 
is that we have to say sin is a serious deal. It's a big thing. That's why Paul says, should we just continue to sin so grace abounds? No. Do not continue to sin. It is a, a, a big deal. We have to take it seriously. And I would even go a step further, and I'm just saying this. I know um, it, it, you might consider it still early, but I would say this. A true believer, and I'm going to back, I will say something to bring some clarity on this. A true believer cannot willfully and habitually and even unrepentantly um, continue in sin. Because if you, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, what Paul is saying here is that you give that to God. You're no longer enslaved to something. Now, that does not mean you will not struggle with sin. You and I will struggle. When we give our lives to Jesus and we surrender, that doesn't mean everything becomes hunky-dory and it's all blissful and we'll never struggle with sin. We're all going to struggle with sin. But what it means is that there is this transformation that takes place. And so I would say if anybody says, yeah, I'm a believer, and they're habitually and, and, and willingly sinning without any kind of confession or repentance or I don't really care and they're apathetic, I would say they've never given their life to Jesus. And so we have to be very careful in that because think about this. This is the reality, especially in the Bible Belt of the South. We have churches that are filled with people who are good, good people. They serve, they give money to the church, and they have good intentions. They want their kids to be good moral people. They think, hey, I'm, I'm listening to this great Bible message. But let me be clear. Good intentions do not save you. The only thing that saves you is the work of Jesus and your acknowledgement, confession, and surrender to, to him because you desperately need him. And so you can be the greatest person in the world. You can give lots of money. You can serve every week. You can get church member of the month. We don't do that here, but you know what I'm saying right? You can do all that. But if you don't have a relationship with Christ and you've never surrendered your life to him, it's all pointless. It's good stuff, but good stuff doesn't save you. And what Paul is saying is we have to recognize we all have a sin problem. Even Paul recognized this. In chapter 7, I, I love this because I feel like it's the story for me and for many of us. He says this. This is like the headline of my life, I feel like. Paul says in chapter 7 and verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Good morning, all right? He says, Now, if I do what I do not want, I'm in agreement with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Let me read that. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So Paul is showing this struggle, this wrestle that every single one of us have. But we have to come to a basis to understand sin affects everything. Until we're willing to acknowledge it, confess it, repent, and to realize that it affects our lives, man, it's an uphill battle. All right, so now let's talk to, don't tell Wayne I did that part, okay? We'll get to the two, I'm just joking. Get to the two, part, two parts that I think Paul is drawing from this as well. The first one being this, excuse me, 
In order for us to really battle sin effectively, we have to have the right perspective of God's grace. We have to have the right perspective of God's grace. Here's what I've learned, personally and in ministry. Oftentimes, we have a misunderstanding of who God is, so therefore, we have a misunderstanding of God's grace. Now, this could take on several different forms. And I know many of your stories, so this looks and, 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 it looks and affects us differently. Some of you grew up, God is a hateful God. He is wrathful. He is all about do, 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 obey, 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 obey. And so to you, it's like, wow, he hates my guts. I can't please him. And it's all about legalism. You got to do this and do that. And if I mess up, it's that. Or you can maybe kind of take it a different step. Maybe you grew up in a faith that was like, hey, you got to go through this class and you got to pray this way and you have to do this in church. And it's all about this, this, and this. I call it the Pew Olympics, all right, if you grew up Catholic. So, so you, it's all about these things that you have to do, 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 do. So do all those things and then maybe God will love you. And so we, we go from that, that extreme to another extreme that says, okay, well, God's just love. He loves you. You don't have to do anything. Man, he'll forgive you and love you. He loves everybody, you know. And what Paul is saying is, yeah, God is ultimately judge. And there are consequences for sin. And yes, he loves you. But we cannot negate the grace of God to just what Paul is saying, just sin however you want and you have some unlimited supply. God is a God of grace and it is unlimited. But when we experience that grace, we don't live in such a way that says, you know, I'll just live whatever and he'll forgive me. We live as different people. Grace changes us. It should change you and me in the way that we live. And I would say that Paul is arguing here, he's saying, hey, you know, yes, grace does abound, but live in such a way that you recognize your sin and you say, under God's grace, man, I, I don't wanna do that. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said that if we live in such a way, he called it cheap grace, that if we just kinda live and say, God will forgive me, He'll do that. But grace is so much bigger than just a forgiveness of sin. And Paul points out kind of two things that just bear with me in my small intellect. I'm going to put together in some words. But in verse 6, what we see, we see that God's grace kills us. You might be like, what? Listen to this verse. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer would be enslaved to sin. God's grace, when we experience God's grace and we surrender to it, it kills the old self. It kills us. It says, hey, he transforms us. This is what we talk about when we celebrate baptism. We see Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. That doesn't mean that you're not gonna struggle with things, but spiritually speaking, he is killing the old you. Don't live like the old you. You have been transformed by the work of Christ. The umbrella of grace has killed you. Now, here's the thing that often gets in the way for us. Oftentimes, pride and arrogance get in the way of that. 
I got this. I'm a good person. My sin's not that bad. I'll justify it here because everybody else is, is, is off, worse off. All these different things. I, I, don't really, I, I don't really need him. I don't really want to come to him. Got some baggage. Or I got to do this before I get to him. It's all excuse, excuse, excuse. God says, come to me. And my grace, not your grace, not your good works, it's my grace that kills the old self. And so Paul is making it very, very clear for us in this perspective of who God is, that he is the one that brings the transformation. It's not a self-help book. It's not a 12-step program. It is going to God in full surrender and saying, I desperately need you. I'm a nobody. I've sinned in my life and it separates me from you. And so Paul says, God is the one in his grace kills that. The second thing, ironically, is that as God grace kills us, God's grace is also the one that gives us life. He says in verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know throughout scripture that our lives are transformed. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to look differently, act differently, have a different perspective, have a different purpose in life. And so he brings us and gives us life. And so you have like this formula that God's grace forgives, the old dies, and you are born again. That is the formula for fighting and resisting sin and temptation. Now let me throw this out and I gotta go really quick because I'm running out of time. Here's the problem. Most Christians live in the land in between. They, they live in the old dies and born again thing. I heard a commentary or a pastor once say, most Christians live in between the crucifixion or the death and burial um, and the resurrection or between Good Friday and Easter. And here's what I mean by that. What ends up happening is that, yeah, you believe Jesus died for your sin and you believe there's a heaven and a hell and you need to live for God, but you're in between and so you're grasping on to the things of your old self, not willing to give it up. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's just wh whatever. I, I don't know. You fill in the blank. But like, I still act this way. I want Jesus, but I'm still going to act this way. And you're not willing to move forward and give out of, you know, give full control and surrender because you don't really want the life of a follower of Christ. So you're in the land in between. And I would say that's a dangerous place to be. There's a reason that in Revelation, um, John talks about, or God says, hey, do not be lukewarm. Either be hot or cold, or I'll, throw, I'll throw, vomit you out of my mouth. I don't know about you, I don't like lukewarm water. <laughs> and so God calls us, hey, listen. And Paul is saying and reiterating, hey, have the right perspective on God's grace and go for it. It's transformed your life. Live that way. Here's the second thing Paul says, that we need to have the right perspective of our identity. He lays out this theology of really how our lives change and change begins by really embracing at our core a new identity that God gives us in this transformation process of grace. That how we view ourselves is at the core of fighting temptation and sin. Now let me throw out this, this kind of example. Do you remember in the Gospels when Jesus was baptized? So he's immersed in the water, raised up. Do you remember what happens? God says, this is my son for who I am well pleased. Definitive identity statement, right? 
It's not like, oh, congratulations, you've been baptized, you know? It is a definitive statement that we see the first time in the Gospels where God says, this is my son. This is the son of God. This, this is the Messiah. He has come. Okay, so that part of scripture ends. Do you know what the very next thing happens? Jesus is sent into the wilderness for 40 days, and he's tempted by Satan in several different levels. What do you think Satan tempts him with? He twists scripture, but he goes right after Jesus' identity. He says, if you really are the son of God, then do this and do that. Throw yourself, jump from this mountain and call the angels and they'll come save you, little pretty boy, <laughs> you know? And he, he's speaking into his identity. And here's the thing. I think, and when it comes to a battle of sin in our heart, Satan knows. Satan knew then about Jesus. If, if he could weaken Jesus' identity and his father, he'd take him out. And the same is true for you and me. I think we buy into the lies of Satan, and he's in a, it doesn't even have to be loud, but he whispers into us, you're not good. God doesn't love you. There's no way he could forgive you. You're a mess up. You got this, big boy. You got this. Handle it. You don't need God. It's not really that big of a deal. And you know what? We believe it. So we try to handle things by ourselves. And what ends up happening is what Paul is saying is that we become enslaved to sin for the very thing that Jesus came to die for, to break us. We are no longer slaves. We are now free. We're no longer dead. We are made alive. And so who you are and whose you are is so important to your walk with Jesus and the walk in a broken and lost world as you battle sin. And here's the two ways he helps us with this. One, when we know who we are, we can fight sin. We can fight sin. I, I love this. In verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So when our life is changed and we know who we are, sin shouldn't be calling the shots in our life. Jesus should be. It shouldn't be the, the sinful control and temptation. It's like, I need to fall into that or this is how I always am. Man, live for Jesus. You know what? I would say this. You need to tell sin to stop. You need to tell Satan to shut up, to get out of your face, to stop messing with you. Because you are a son or a daughter of God. You need to proclaim that every single day when Satan is attacking you in your weakest moment and you're doubting everything about who you are and the people around, around you are attacking you. Remember, you have been transformed by the grace of God. Let that resonate deep inside your core. So fight sin. The second thing is to serve God. In verse 13, He's like, hey, present your, the members of your body. Present your body not to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but instead to God as instruments of righteousness. And so serve with everything that you have. You know, it's really hard to fall to sin when you're reading scripture. It's really hard to fall to sin when you're serving the church, when you're giving, when you're loving your spouse as Christ loves the church or you're, you're loving other people and you're parenting your kids and you're reflecting Jesus in all different ways. It's really hard. I'm not saying it's impossible. Sin's gonna creep up. But man, serve God. Fight it. I'll tell you what. When there's sin in people's lives or my life, the tendency is, you know what? I don't need to show up at church. It's embarrassing. 
since he is, I don't need to be in that small group because what are they gonna think about me? And we start to run away from God when we need to lean in to him. So just three really quick practical ways about sin. Stay away from it. I view sin in my mind like a wild animal at the zoo. Like I don't go to the zoo and like see the fence and the glass or whatever and be like, there's a, there's a lion in there. We should go play. Let me jump this fence and see what happens. Man, those protective barriers are there for a reason. Stay away from sin. Two, cut off any opportunity. Any opportunity that you might be tempted to lean into sin over following God, cut it off. That means be proactive about it. Things like this, if man, if you're addicted to alcohol or drugs, prescription meds, get them out of the house. Don't let them tempt you and be easy to get to. If you're addicted to porn on your phone or computer, you don't need a phone or computer. Get it out. Be proactive about it. Be extreme about it. Take the steps if you're serious about it. And the third thing I would say is foster accountability. You and I need people in our life to call us out and say, that's not okay. That is an honor, Jesus. I know if you're married, your spouse is the, is the most high level accountability partner you got. I remember when me and Sloan first got married and she'd be like, Dustin, I wouldn't do that. That's kind of sinful. And I'd be like, you're sinning by telling me it's sinful, <laughs> you know? Like, who are you? And as you mature and walk, I'm so thankful that I have a wife, a helper that says, you know what, Dustin, that's not okay. Makes me better. I don't always like it or agree with it, but it makes me better. We need people in our life. That's why scripture says two are better than one. So let me close with this. I don't know what God's working in your life. I don't know what you're wrestling with right now. The first thing that's so important, man, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, today's that day. Stop fighting him. Stop making excuses. Stop justifying what's going on in your life and surrender. Give it to him so that he can transform your life, transform your heart. And you can just simply just confess to God right where you are. If you want me to help guide you in that, I'll be down front as the, as the band leads. We'll walk through that. Do not leave this place without doing business with God in such a way that you know, man, he's, he's made you and it's transferred you from death to life. Then I would say for the believer that's here, that's like, hey, I know, I, I've given my life to Jesus, but the battle is real. Man, just be reminded of his grace this morning and give it to him. Just give it to him. So you might wanna come down here and just pray as, you know, use it as an altar, talk to me, or just pray right where you are. Maybe ask someone around you to say, hey, will you pray with me in this? Man, it's a safe place. We all are struggling with different things. And the only one who can fix it is God. So give it to him this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in desperate need of your grace. And Father, forgive us where we put ourselves at the forefront and really at the throne of our hearts and we make ourselves king to do what we want to do. And as a result, fall into the temptation of our flesh and our desires and it separates us from intimacy with you. And so, Father, I pray that this, this morning, I pray for the person that has never given their life to you. Today would be that day. 
No more playing church. No more trying to handle it on themselves. No more lies of Satan saying, I'm not good enough to follow Jesus. Let today be that day where they make that commitment. Just give it all. But also I pray for the person that's here that they know that they're a follower of Christ. There's been a day, but maybe they just need a reminder of your grace. And a reminder that they don't have what it takes. So this time be a response of just surrender. So as we sing, we want you to have our hearts. Have everything. That this song is, is so much more than just words or music but really a prayer of surrender. So we give it to you this morning. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Hey, let's stand. If you'd like to talk or pray, I'll be down front. The altar's open. Man, just respond to Jesus this morning.